Star Wars Universe podcast. Today we are talking about Mandalorian Season 1, Episode 3, The Sin. I'm Matthew, I'm one of your hosts. And I am Jeff Randall, the other, other host. <laughs> Jeff, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic, sir. I'm getting to talk about a phenomenal program tonight. So it's always a good time when we're talking Mandalorian. Yeah, I, I, I will say also, this is a sign of how much I love Mandalorian right now. I have um, I finished a big project for work yesterday, so today was my kind of goof off and, and just catch up on all my media shits today. So I watched the last episode of Picard. I finished Watchmen, the TV show, finally. Um, mm-hmm. And I just literally walked in the door 10 minutes ago after seeing Birds of Prey. All great things, but honestly, all throughout that, all day long, I was thinking about like, okay, when we talk about Mandalorian, this is what I want to talk about tonight. Because <laughs> this is – the show is so good, and I think this episode is – there's just so much here. You know, this this episode I feel like is this is really where act 1 ends and we start to kick it into something totally new. Yes, absolutely. This that when I was I rewatched it while I was waiting for you uh just because it had been a minute since I'd seen it and I really just wanted to watch it again. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking the the whole time that this episode was going on, the first time I watched it was like, oh man, this is the, this is his moment. You know, this is his, like, uh, if you, if you watch Deadpool, four or five moments. Like, this yeah. is his first one. Yeah, it's, it's very true. Um, I have, um, <laughs> I, I, this is the episode that I refer to as the, uh, the Mandalorian Josie Wales. Um, I, I don't know if you've, ever, I've never seen the movie The Outlaw Josie Wales, but I in the, either. Um, in the round in the movie The Rounders, which is a big uh, just Rounders, which is a big big favorite of mine, um, they talk about how you know the outlaw Josie Wales he always rides back for a friend, you know, and apparently there's a big scene in that movie where he like rides out but then turns around and has to go back and rescue people, and that's what I kept thinking about in this movie, you know, like in this in this episode, from the moment the Mandalorian walks in with the baby, um, I don't think I had any doubt in my mind that the episode was going to end with him coming back in there to, to, to rescue the, the child. Is, is that, is that kind of where you were as well? You know, honestly, I was thinking that he wouldn't even like, he was going to go nuts at the point of drop off. Just be like, you know what? I can't, I can't let you have the kid and then just start mm. shooting. But they, they went so far as to have him go get fresh armor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go get more jobs and be like, no, I got to go back for him. Like he's, he could already easily be dead at this point, but mm-hmm. but now well, you're going back for him. So just to catch up for people who aren't uh, watching again, uh, can you do a quick recap of this episode or you want me to do it? Sure, I got it. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, this one opens, uh, you know, after in the second episode, he finally gets his ship put back together after facing down the Mudhorn uh, and, and dealing with the Jawas. They go back to the uh, the the uh the planet that he had been on that seemed like Tatooine but it's not Tatooine but it's yeah. kind of Tatooine it's it's definitely Tatooine-ish it it, it has that <laughs> outer rim old west desert kind of feel to it yeah so he goes back to his you know outlaw town where everybody is in the guild and uh you know goes to turn in his prize but before he gets there we have a a nice little uh, a little moment with him and the kid in the cockpit and him t- like the, the kid takes his uh, the kind of the shifter knob, so to speak off of one of his control pieces. And he's like, no, that's not a toy. And like takes it away. Screws me. Like puts it back on the dashboard and like p- 
picks him up by the scruff and puts him back <laughs> in his little space stroller. And then he uh, he moves on to turning the, the child back into or turning the child into the client uh, played by Werner Herzog masterfully. Um, mm-hmm. And we see that the child looks at them and has just distrust written all over his puppet face. And uh, they, you know, cart him off. He uh, the, the Mandalorian is paid and handsomely, I might add, uh, a significant amount of Beskar. We already saw how much, uh, you know, what one or two pieces, right? Was yeah, or it was one, one bar piece. of it can make his, his, one whole piece of the armor. So yeah, one bar of it can make one one at least pauldron, and then sponsor many foundlings. From what they said, the excess will sponsor many foundlings. Right. Um, so we we see a huge bounty given to him uh he takes it back and then we finally actually see real interaction between all of these people who are following the ways of mandalore uh we we get to you know see their interaction with each other and how they can uh have a, a knockdown drag out kind of uh vibrablade fight right in the in the middle of the the armory or the forge and uh, nobody really bats an eye yeah <laughs> they just have a casual conversation to to end it um so we really get an idea of their culture uh, and and how they have uh been pushed into hiding um and then from there he gets another job from grief cargus and finds out that everybody had everybody there had a uh, tracking fob he goes off to start his other job you know decides that maybe i i need to go save that kid i'm too good a person to let bad things happen to good people or even to innocent people uh, you know, good or bad or whatever. And then he goes back and we get one of the best, like, incursion scenes in action, you know, in action set piece mm-hmm. uh, cinema where he, you know, he he lures out some, some stormtroopers, blows a hole in one of the walls, lures them out, uh, lures out more and just goes nuts on these guys and eventually exfiltrates the child, gets out to a... um you know, kind of the, 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 the main thoroughfare of the town, you know, that, that kind of showdown space, yep. uh, so high to noon. speak, high noon kind of space, and then has a massive shootout with everybody. And right when it looks like it's going to be at its worst, it's turning bad income. All of the Mandalorians just blasting everything to hell. Everyone's yeah. getting shot. There's laser blasts going everywhere. Not a lightsaber <laughs> to be seen. And he eventually gets on the ship, shoots Grief Cargus in the in the Beskar chest because he, you know, everybody has a, a shield or a book or something to stop a shot to the heart when yep. they when the plot requires that they need to stay around for a while, but they still need to be shot because you don't like them. <laughs> so shoots Grief Very Cargus well off of his off of his ship, closes the ship up and takes off and gets a salute from one of the uh, jetpack Mandalorians on his way out, <laughs> saying. <laughs> I got to get me one of those. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, it's funny because like, you know, when you go all the way back to the original Mandalorian Boba Fett, like one of the things that I always thought of was really um, iconic about him was that jetpack. And it was interesting that to me to start jet- by seeing the Mandalorian without the jetpack. And so seeing more of them have it and, and hearing that he's like, yeah, he just doesn't have one yet, but he's still pretty badass. Like I was like, okay, I see more of where how this, this fits. Um, to yeah. me, I think that's one well, of my favorite parts of this episode is that we just get so much more of Mandalorian culture. 
Absolutely. That's the, the main draw, the, the, the whole intrigue behind him. You know, we got in the, in the last episode, we got, you know, weapons are my religion. And we were like, right. your religion, <laughs> that's a religion. And then we kind of expand on that now. Mm-hmm. I mean, even just the phrase you said, like the people who follow the way of Mandalore, like this is the first time we hear that phrase. Um, I I know a little bit about that background from having read some of the books and seen some of the Clone Wars, but um, although this is actually a little different than the Clone Wars, but I think it would, be, it would have been very easy to be watching the show up to this point and think a Mandalorian is someone from the planet Mandalore. You know, this is like a race or a group, at least a, a group of colonizers on a planet or something. Um, yep. And so, yeah, hearing that this is a, a community built more around a religion and an idea, um, and we're going to learn more about that later and where that fills in, and we'll we'll hold off on that to the, the spoiler section. Um, but I, I really liked that. I liked seeing, um, you know, hearing that, uh, whatever had, like, we, we knew a little bit about this purge and that something bad had happened with the empire, but hearing that, like, you know, this metal Beshkar is like sacred to these folks and hearing that their feelings about the empire are so strong that they're willing to like turn their backs on Beshkar if it's Imperial stamped to me, that that's a really powerful statement of just how deep the hatred of the empire runs. Yeah, it really is. It uh, it informs us so much more of just how hated the Empire is. But, you know, out here on these uh, Outer Rim, like, not-core planets, you can't really do anything about it. Yeah. I mean, Greek Vargas even says, like, if you don't like it, that they're, you know, these warlords are still out here. And that's, that's one of the things that he called it. He was like, there's just warlords and, you know, I think he said something else, but warlords was the, the thing that stuck. He was like, if you don't like it, go to the core planets and report to the, the new Republic. And, then, yeah. <laughs> and the Mandalorian says, well, that's a joke. So it yeah. really kind of, you know, shines that light on just how remote these guys are and how, how little the, the Republic can actually do for them. And that's, I think um, it really, for me, underlines the fact of this being a Western um, in a powerful way, because, I haven't seen a ton, but I definitely I, I'm interested in Westerns as kind of a, a cultural and historical motif. And one thing I know is that you don't get this as much in the modern ones, but especially in the early ones, like and this is the historical truth. You know, a lot of the cowboys that we think of, like the, the, the people in the old West, that was in the years of like the 1870s, the 1880s. These are the years right after the uh, American Civil War. And you had a mm-hmm. lot of former soldiers who had basically like fought in this terrible war on, on both sides and then kind of said, look, I, I can't deal with this kind of civilized life anymore. I need to just go out into the into the, into the the open and, and see what I can find. Um, Firefly does that exact same theme. You know, the, the people after the war who can't go back to civilized life. Um, yep. And so I, I just that one mo- – all he has to say is like just the scoffing of, you know, the Republic is a joke. Um, that tells me so much both about – where we are right now in the history of like what happens after return of the Jedi, but also about the Mandalore himself. Yep. And about uh, where we physically are <laughs> watching this happen. It's, yeah. you know, so far remote. Definitely. And the, uh, the, one of the things that I, that I found awesome on the rewatch is, you know, you really pick up uh, the, the idea of like, these guys are more like Ronin than anything they they have their you know their their code of honor and he says that he cannot take the sigil of the mudhorn because it was not a noble kill yeah because he basically had to rely on the child 
yeah, he said an enemy helped me do it. And they like you could see the curious face on the helmet of the armor. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. she she kind of tilted her head a little bit, like, what do you mean an enemy helped you? Like, why would they do that? Well, he didn't know he was my enemy. And <laughs> it was that like, it's a weird story. If you've got time we can talk about it, but like really you just need to make some armor, please. Yeah. That one line of he didn't know he's an enemy, I mean that that line really hit me hard because Again, we don't know much yet, but I you sort of get the feeling of like if this is a religion based on like, you know, um weapons and war and and being bounty hunters and and fighting. To me, I and maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I feel like the he was my enemy, like that that's a kind of like a definitive like delineated place in Mandalore culture of like here's how you're supposed to treat an enemy, you know, and and that has very specific rules and traditions to it. And the way he's he both wants to assign the child the rank of the enemy because, you know, he turns a child into someone who's going to do it harm. But also he that that line of he didn't know he's my enemy. Um, it's never explicitly said, but that to me, that also feels like such an act of not honor. You know, I'm a lot. I think about like Malcolm Reynolds and Firefly saying, if I ever shoot you, you'll be aware of it. You'll be armed. You'll be standing in front of me like you will know yeah. that you're my enemy. Um, yep. And that's kind of what I flashed to is that I feel like there's some kind of weird shame of like acknowledging that like someone didn't know you were, they were your enemy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I could. Oh man. Oh, that puts so much more emotional weight on it. (laughs) Right. Right. Oh man. And then he has to go back because like this child is innocent. Like, yeah, he's 50 some odd years old, but like, it's still a child. It's still a, like very much a baby. And it's an innocent. Yeah, it's an innocent bystander in this whole thing. And like the the these empire knockoffs, whatever, the warlord has turned this this child into a MacGuffin. Like, are you kidding me? You can't let a child be a MacGuffin. I'm going to (laughs) go shoot all the stormtroopers. Well, and I love you. You kind of mentioned that that in one of the first scenes, there's this cute little moment of him realizing that like the child has unscrewed the top of his like gear shift lever. Um, yeah. And of course, the moment that really gets him at, at that final scene oh, where he God. decides to come back is reaching over to that lever and seeing that the, the top of it is still unscrewed. Um, yep. That that hit me hard because that's that was such, I thought, a powerful way of. And again, the actor is so expressive without us ever seeing his face without like, his face. I knew exactly what was happening in his head. Um, yep. You know, of just like, and I kind of, I knew that moment was going to happen. I mean, it was really like Chekhov's gear shift that was established for <laughs> us. Like, you knew that was going to happen, but yep. still that moment, oof, that was a gut punch. And then they, they had the like super sweet moment at the end of it where he unscrewed it himself and dropped it in the kid's hand because oh, the kid was yeah. reaching for it. He was reaching for it. Like you can see his little three fingered hand just like, it's so far away. And he's just like, here you go, buddy. Like, oh my god, he does have a heart somewhere in there under all that Beskar. Yeah, and that and that'll get a lot to like why he, we'll talk more about why he does this um in the spoiler section, because it's certainly gone into more in later episodes, but that moment was really powerful. I was just gonna mention, uh, when when he got the Beskar and you know, took it back to the uh to the armorer, when she was forging it, when she was was making this curus for him. Uh, you know, he had his flashbacks again and we got so much more of yeah. what like what went down 
in the uh, in the time <clears throat> excuse me in the time before he was a a follower of Mandalore yeah. and we saw like the the battle droids walking up and you know being so hulking and imposing and scary like we understand why now in the first episode he was like no droids yeah i this is kind of an aside but it's um you know in the other half of the star wars universe podcast we're doing a rewatch of the clone wars tv show um, which I mm-hmm. hope I, I think you're going to watch at some point. I'll really be curious to hear your thoughts on it. Um, but in that show, very much like in the prequel movies, the battle droids are 100 percent, you know, uh, comedic relief. Like they are silly. They pratfall. They're ridiculous. They're never scary in any way, shape or form. And yep. in this in the flashback scenes, you you, it, you only see like flashes. So for a moment, it just looks like this like imposing thing and you don't realize it. And then I think it's only by like the fourth or fifth flashback that you realize it's one of those like destroyer drones that like walks around and has like a gun, you know, built into its arm. And it's something that you're so used to seeing in like comedic ways. And here looks freaking terrifying. It really does. Yeah. I love that they were able to to turn this thing that if you remember from uh, uh, from. Oh, God, the. Phantom Menace, sorry, mm-hmm. episode one. Uh, if you remember from the Phantom Menace, these guys were like really goofy robots, like saying to each other, Roger, Roger. And then, like, yeah. you know, just kind of walking around in a robotic way but because they're robots. <laughs> but these these droids weren't really anything other than like there's a lot of them. Yeah. And in here, it's like, you know, this is through the eyes of a child. So everything is much bigger as a child and especially these guys like if everybody around you is unarmed then even the most comedic things with a gun are going to be the best armed and most scary things right and when you've got the idea of like just a robotic you know killing machine that has no mercy no emotions i mean that that's straight up terminator stuff you know and yeah i just love that this movie got into that um Another direction I wanted to go in, and here again, it's kind of, I, I think this was a callback to the original movies, especially to New Hope, and maybe I'm wrong, um, and it's just sort of because it's a trope I'm seeing this, but I felt like we were getting the end of A New Hope, but this time from Han Solo's perspective. <laughs> because, you know, in that movie, like, we, we see Han Solo fly off and that Luke has to do this on his own, and if you've seen movies before, you probably know on some level that Han will probably come back. But they take you far enough into the battle that you can kind of forget, especially if you're a kid yep. watching. And then Han comes out of nowhere. And it's incredibly dramatic storytelling. But there's a part of me that always wondered, like, what was Han's gear shift moment? You know, what was the moment that made him Ooh, go, yeah. I need to turn around? Was it just, damn it, I want that money? Or was it, you know, Princess Leia looked real cute? Or was it Chewbacca you know, screaming at him about, you know, how they're supposed to be fighters for <laughs> you justice. You know that's like, what it was. It probably was a lot of that, um, let's be honest. <laughs> but, like, so I feel like this was that same story, but this time we got it to see it from the Han character's perspective. Like, getting to see him, you know, going much, doing much worse than Han ever did. You know, turning the child over to the Empire, walking away. Like you said, going back to get his armor, and then only later having that moment of, like, no, I can't allow this. Um yeah. No, I was, I was going to say that um, this is much more along the lines of, and you know, I've I've been saying it over and over again, but this is much more along the lines of Punisher than it is anything else uh, as far as hero tales, because Punisher goes a lot darker than 
pretty much anything else that we've seen as far as hero stuff. And he still ends up being the good guy uh, in in that he doesn't want bad things to happen to innocent people, but will do like really bad stuff to the bad people. Uh huh. And so, you know, it, it, sometimes it takes Punisher a minute to come around. You know, he's got to tie up the, the innocent girl who was trying to steal something from him to, to feed herself or whatever. He's got to like tie her up in the back of his van and listen to her screaming for a little bit to be like, okay, like what's your story? And, you yeah. Know, you go through a couple of hours of dealing with that before actually being the hero for her. And, and it, like, I, I very much get where you're coming from. I, I don't quite make that connection because for me, somewhat in season one, but especially in season two, uh, Frank Castle stopped being a hero. Like, I, yeah. I was not able to see him as heroic after what he did. And I feel like The Mandalorian has not gotten to that point yet. But certainly, like, I, I can imagine that if The Mandalorian and Captain America and Daredevil rode into battle, like, Captain America and Daredevil would be like, dude! quit torturing our enemies like just fucking kill them you know um because I, I, I think you're right he definitely has that punisher mentality of uh and, and I, I wonder if we're going to see more of this about the mandalorians and again going back to that idea of like who is the enemy um the mandalorians strike me as the kind of people who very much have a you know you're either inside or you're out and if you're inside then you're part of the clan you're part of the family and uh, this we will is the way. To, yeah, that this is the way we will protect you, and that innocents are part of that. But if you're outside, yeah. I ain't worried about your rights. I ain't worried about you keeping you alive. Like, you know, <laughs> you're in my way, and if I have to close a door on you to cut you in half, I'm going to close a door on you and cut you in half. You know? Oof, that, oh my god! And then that reminds me, like he used the 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 hook, the grappling hook or whatever, and uh-huh. and pulled the guy into the door. He did a very similar thing in the uh, in his assault on the the stormtroopers. He shot one of the stormtroopers in the back with that grappling hook and yanked him toward him and just like let him fall on his knife. Yeah. To take him out. He could have shot him with the blaster. He could have <laughs> vaporized him. He could have done anything other than just let the guy fall on his knife. It tells you something that we're now talking about vaporize as the more merciful option. Um, right? It's quick and easy. <laughs> but it's so true. Um, Mostly painless. Yeah. And, like, I, I think that's – that's. I feel like this is, like, that's why I said it, it is such a good character growth episode because we're just learning more about what he cares about, you know? And we learn that he does care yeah. about things, and that's good. But it's not the things we expect a hero to care about. Um Right. <laughs> You know, and it it takes him a little longer to get there than we sh- expect that it should happen. Well, and especially because, like, okay, the first scene we've got the people who are guarding the child, and we think they're like stealing a child and doing bad things. Cool, they deserve to die. Um, big mudhorn beast. It's kind of just guarding its egg, but fine. It's a big scary monster. Kill it. I'm with you. Um, this it's episode, not a person, is like, so it's fine. <laughs> You know, kill the Empire people. They're Empire people. You know, they're Nazis, basically. Like, go ahead and kill them. Um, But if we're supposed to think that a bounty hunter can be a hero in The Mandalorian, um, most of those bounty hunters who are now going after him at the end of the the episode, they don't know there's a child involved. They just know that a guy broke a contract and now by their code, like, they have to take him in. Um, So it, it, it was a very interesting scene to me because it was like I didn't have a sense of, like, these were people in our hero's way. 
And I know why he had to fight them, but I surely didn't feel like these were evil people. They were just kind of doing the same stuff he does. Um, yeah. And that was grief, grief, though, definitely, like, you know, he's in this really moral gray area that I find really interesting. Yeah, he's got uh, he's got a lot going on. I'm kind of glad that the uh, the plot demanded that he have the Beskar on his chest and not get killed. Yeah. No, definitely. He's he's one I want to see stick around. Um, I'm trying to think of other big things from this episode Um, before we go into kind of a spoiler section, although I think we're going to have a bunch to talk about there. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's funny because in some ways, like, not much happens in this episode. Like, it's mostly set up for a fight and then probably the second half of the episode, if you count, like, the Empire fight into the Bounty Hunter fight as one just big, long fight chase scene, it's really half a fight episode. Um, yeah, you know, it's just and, a big battle episode. It's part of yeah. the reason why I love it so much. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I think that to me, I thought one other nice touch was that the, the Mandalorian who is most um, kind of in charge of helping him out, not in, but is kind of leading the group, helping him out. Um, I don't think they ever call him this in the show itself, but in the subtitles, his name is given as heavy infantry, uh, which I think is interesting. Cause again, it's delineating like that there's different kind of military roles and, Maybe not all Mandalorians are bounty hunters, um, but yeah. I like that it's the guy who was attacking, who was fighting him, and kind of getting on his case. He's the one who's most leading them now. And yeah, and, this is and, the way. Yeah, and when Mando says <sighs> like, "Hey, listen, you're gonna maybe be like exposing your own base. You're hurting all of yourself." It's just like, no, this is the way. This is what we do. Yeah, yeah, we stick up for our own. Like God, that's so. I'm getting chills thinking about it right now. Yeah. I'm getting so excited. That's that's what I'm saying. Like where this is kind of like these guys are just Ronin out there. You know, they've got their code of honor and they they look out for each other. You know, they don't have a uh, 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 an empire or a a daimyo to fight for or you know whatever the case may be. But they still stick to their bushido. You know, yeah. they have their way. This is the way. And the fact that that trumps any personal feelings between them just shows how honorable they are and yeah uh, it gets me gets me excited <laughs> well, and, and i i am wondering how much that that those references to like samurai and, and bushido and, and and ronin culture which i i know less about than you do but i think that was probably somewhat intentional by the authors because a lot of people have drawn some really interesting parasol um the japanese filmmaker uh kurosawa probably most famously but a number of others have really talked a lot about how the American cowboy and the Japanese samurai Ronin shared a lot in common in a lot of ways. And that yeah. both held kind of a very similar role in society of being like the, the not law in a place of lawlessness, but justice in a place of, you know, unjustness. Um, yeah. And yeah, so I, I'm, I'm, uh, I want commentary tracks, man. Cause I really want to hear like <laughs> what was going into how they wrote this. Cause it's just, it's funny for a half hour show. There's just so much we can unpack. Yeah. There's so many layers to it. I mean, uh, when he was, uh, when he was getting his armor and the, the armorer said to him, uh, uh this will make a full curious, which should be good for your station. I was like, what, what do you mean? His station? Yeah. Like they, what? He hasn't come up the ranks in the Mandalores yet? Tell me about the ranks. What's needed? What What are the yeah. requirements at each rank? I need to know everything and when he achieved them in the past. And it's funny, too, because like I made a joke in the last episode about it feeling like a, a side quest in a, 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 a you know, video game role-playing game. 
this felt like you go back to the town to like get your new quests and you know have your armor and and like talk to your trainer who can level you up like it just felt yep. it's so much of that feeling to it um you've unlocked whistling birds yeah which which again like you know it was funny i i was thinking a lot about Chekhov because also i had that moment of like okay this is Chekhov's whistling birds like of course he's going to use them in this episode you know oh yes um, I mean, when the the moment that they surround him with just four stormtroopers, uh, where like they come out of one door in single file, I'm like, dude, you could have shot both of those guys coming through like yeah. immediately, and it would not have been a thing. But I understand you got to use your new toy. I get it. I get it. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just gotta like wait for the perfect setup. You know, um, yep. I I get that from video games. Um. Anything else you want to touch on before we go into the spoiler section? Uh, I don't know that there's anything that I can touch on without getting too spoilery. Yeah. There's, this episode sets up so much. So for anybody who has not yet seen Beyond Episode 3, um, yeah, this is when we're going to suggest maybe you want to turn it off. Um, Jeff, uh, Go watch Jeff, the rest of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, we're now going to start talking about what we think of this episode in light of all the things that we learned from later episodes. Um, so... If you're checking out now, thank you again for being a fan and for listening. Um, please remember this podcast is part of the larger Stranded Panda podcast network. Um, a lot of great other podcasts, including some that Jeff is on and some that I'm on uh, and some others by friends of, and colleagues of ours that really kind of take what we're doing here of going deep on the Star Trek, Star Wars universe and go deep on almost every other one. The Star Trek, Marvel, DC, Watchmen. Uh, I know, Jeff, you and Matt are now doing a kind of rewatch of the X-Men movies to get ready for the new X-Men movie. Um, lots of great stuff check it out Stranded Panda if you want to get in touch with us you can find us on Facebook or on Twitter all that stuff is on our um, going to be in the show notes for this so with that spoiler warning in 3 2 1 this is the way this is the way and the way is it's not a spoiler but man well, the way well, is that foundlings are part of your they're part of your culture, but then they're part of your tribe, and you yeah. gotta go save your tribe. Yeah, to me, like that's that that's Oof. the thing. It's really interesting to go back and watch this episode because all that stuff you and I just said about how like Mando saves the kid because he's developed this emotional attachment, I think that's true. But I think much more. I think more it's of part it's of the because, code too. Yeah, it's he that he sees the little baby as as a foundling. Um and yep. Looking that to me, it made the scene where he deals with the Mandalorians so much more powerful because now I understood the shame when he says like an enemy who is not my enemy, you know, and I, I, I think that scene is probably as important to why he goes back as the, the gear shift handle, you know, and just cause it really hits home yeah. for him. Like you're part of a culture where, you know, your parents died, you were in an attack and you got rescued and you were a foundling. And now you just gave up another potential foundling like to its enemy. You know, you can't. That's not the way. Oh, yeah. And he like he even mentions specifically when they're uh, when when the 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 armorer is like laying out all the best car. He's like, you know, keep the excess for the foundlings. And she says, as is the way. Yeah. Like, of course, we're going to do that. Because this is the way. And he like, he's sitting there like, oh, you're right. Oh, shit, you're right. Oh, <laughs> man, I got to go back. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely some guilt happening there. And it, and it just makes it more powerful. And it, it's, I really like shows where 
you learn things in later episodes that well, I'll say the opposite is I hate watching a show where it becomes clear to me that when they wrote episode when they wrote a question that they set up in one episode, they didn't yet know the answer to it, you know? And yeah. this to me, it really let me know like they knew exactly where they were going with his story when they wrote this episode. Um, and oh, that, absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, John Favreau was the uh, the the creator of the series, and uh, he was credited as being the writer for this episode. So, yeah, you know, as far as like having that unified vision that everything needs to to really be cohesive, he was the man for it. And honestly, after watching him kick off the uh, the MCU, I'm on board. Yeah. Uh, like anything John Favreau does, I'm like, yes, yes, please, I'll have that. And I just, I really hope that we start to get like not. You know, the movies have been kind of hit or miss, although I think the, um, you know, Rogue One was fantastic. I didn't like Solo very much. Um, But so I don't think we're going to get like a Star Wars version of the MCU on screen. But if we can wind up having like the equivalent of Netflix on Marvel Netflix as like Disney Star Wars and we get like a whole universe of other shows. (laughs) <laughs> that don't I know you're you're going crazy. You're like, but how good would that be? And how, like, this is what they're planning yes. seeds for, you know? Like, what if? Okay, I'm a politics junkie, but yep, I want the like politics procedural show set on Coruscant during the same time, you know? And maybe they're like hearing rumors of a, a Yoda child out there, and so we know that like it's connected. But like, it's just all the political machinations of trying to put a republic back together, you know? Or Maybe even a show about, like, how we get to the, you know, the First Order. Like, I just – to have a whole series of episodes of, – of shows like that that are all in an interconnected world and maybe characters pop in and out but, um you know, is all telling this larger Star Wars story without any Jedi in it, without any Skywalkers or Palpatines. Like, just talking about folks on the ground level um, and with – you know, Disney is not going to pull the plug on its own shows like it did to Netflix, which I'm not bitter about. No, not in the slightest. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I just think there's especially. There's, yeah, I uh, I don't want to get my hopes too high up, but especially with Favreau it's at the okay. helm. That's something I think I yeah. want to see. Yeah, he is a uh, I would say he's a visionary director and, and creator like this man. This man knows what's up. And um you know, the the other EP uh, being Dave Filoni, <clears throat> who I've heard great things about from the Clone Wars and Rebels, uh, you know, they've they've got it. They understand yeah. the heart of Star Wars. And, you know, this is like we've like we've kept on saying not a lightsaber to be seen. It doesn't have to be Skywalker and lightsabers and Jedi to be Star Wars and be good. Yeah, this this show is a, is a prime example of that. And. Uh, you know, like like you said, uh, a procedural uh, on Coruscant trying to rebuild the the uh, the Republic and and trying to figure out the government after they took down the Emperor. Like we talked about that on the last episode that we were on, um, where that would have been a great kind of interim inter uh, what's the word interim, interim kind interim, of thing yeah. and 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 seeing that that kind of all fall apart as people are trying to put it together and the first order coming about because of that would be so great, but yeah. we didn't get that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the frustration. And, but it, it but on, on the positive note, I didn't realize that um, the person who was so involved in clone wars and rebels was involved in this. And that, 
to me, that makes it all the better, you know, because the person yeah. who really was very involved in, you know, making cart the, the animated version of the Roger Roger Pratt fall, like it, it, it just it, it feels to me like it is the continuity, you know, that this is a much darker story. This is much more Rogue One than it is New Hope. This is, you know, there's moral grayness and no one is black or white, good or evil. Well, there's, there's some pretty clear evil, but no one is, you know, black or white, good. <laughs> um, but that it's still... You know, because like some stuff, like a lot of the Star, you know, new Star Trek stuff, like it's interesting, but it, it, to me, it doesn't feel like Star Trek. This is such a different tone and such a different motif. But you're right; it feels like Star Trek. It, it, oh my god, I keep mixing up those words. It feels like <laughs> Star Wars to me. You know, um, and that's yep. just something I, I I love. That's I mean that's that's a, a product of the soul that was put into it. You know, something can can have lightsabers and not feel like star war or yeah i i said it right and thought i got it wrong come on man <laughs> this is what uh, i'm doing to you yeah yep <laughs> you tear me down um matt, matt just, carroll is somewhere soul. laughing about all this yeah probably <laughs> but the you know the amount of soul that the people working on it put into it and and the love that they have for it it has that feel and you just you know this is firmly rooted in Star Wars lore. This is going to be a linchpin that they're going to to turn back to for guidance for every other property that is not a movie, and yeah. maybe even for the movies. Yeah, and I'm I'm so here for that. I I think that's Man- Mandalorian got when you know when when all these properties moved to DC to move to Disney. I had a lot of nervousness and. You know, the Disney uh, Star Wars movies, some of them I think have been some of the best we've had. Some of them I was not impressed by. Um, but when both, you know, when they started doing TV shows, like, I was pretty nervous. And I know, like, um, you know, I'm still pretty nervous about what the um, uh, Marvel, uh, uh, what the MCU, yeah, what the, what the Marvel Disney TV shows are going to be like. But if this is anything to go by, I think we're going to be pretty happy with the the genre fiction that 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 Disney is going to give us. Um, that's not Absolutely. a sentence I thought I'd be saying. And again, <laughs> a lot of chances for them to screw it up still. But if this is the kind of tone we get, I I I'm here for it. Yeah, I am absolutely on board for this. And to soothe you a little bit about the MCU stuff, did you see the Super Bowl trailer or the the trailer during the Super Bowl for the Disney Plus series coming up? No, I didn't. Is that Wandavision? Oh, it's WandaVision, it's Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and it's Loki. All oh, three were nice. in that trailer. And Matt and I were recording uh, an episode of just like news and feedback whenever that dropped online. Uh-huh. And we got interrupted like mid-recording to be like breaking news. <laughs> Holy crap, you guys. That's amazing. And we watched it for the first time while recording there and flipped out. Oh, oh my wow. God. Yeah, I think somehow I missed that episode, but I'll have to go back and check it out. And and yeah, so if 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 this is where Disney's going, you know, I I still fear the mouse, and I'm still mad they, you know, I I really want them to give us the real Daredevil back. Um, but but we'll see what happens. So anyway, any uh, last thoughts on this particular episode? Um, let's see. Oh, there was a a brief like what I thought was a throwaway line that is indicative of bigger things. Mm. Uh, whenever he was on the roof, uh, looking through his, uh, I guess it was the scope on his like multi-purpose weapon tool, pitchfork, uh-huh. tuning fork. Um, and, and he was, you know, honing in on, on the sound through the wall and also infrared. 
um, he heard the, like we heard the, the client say, uh, that they want it like they, what was it? They want it shipped out as soon as possible or something like that. Basically saying that somebody higher than oh, this yeah. guy is in charge of this whole thing and wants to expedite it now. So, you know, that it felt like, you know, it was a throwaway thing and, you know, whoever wanted whatever, but, but then like the last episode happened and, and we learned it there all is, is a, like someone out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's all just coming together into this big tapestry. And I'm like, oh, man, I see all these threads now. I see it. That's great. Yeah, I didn't catch that at all. But you're right. That that little thing means so much more. Um, yeah. I realized the other thing that I wanted to talk about is I want to talk about grief for a second on um, the character. Because yeah. he obviously goes through kind of a weird journey of like, is he on our side? Is he not? Is he just a mercenary? Does he have any heart at all? Um, and by the end, he sort of seems like he's like not a horrible person. He, he kind of cares somewhat, at least clearly out for himself. Um, but the thing I thought was really interesting, and I never really thought about this until you and I went on this deep conversation about the Mandalorian, is the Mandalorian code. Because at first I thought, oh, grief just wants money. You know, he's just got no morals whatsoever. But then I'm realizing, no, he has a code himself. And we don't really see this explored in season one, but I wonder if we're going to see more of it in season two. The Mandalorian is kind of at a weird crossroads because the Mandalorians have a code, but clearly the Bounty Hunters Guild has a code. And like yep. it seems like in this moment, he very clearly chooses the Mandalorian over the Bounty Hunter. Um, but it's it's I would love to hear more about that Bounty Hunter code, because when I the more I thought about it, the more I realized, like, no, Reef is not such a, a bad guy as I might think here. I mean, like, it seems like what he's doing is terrible, but it's also like he's not just saying like you know, oh, go kill kids for money. He's saying like, we have a code. This is this. It's his version of this is the way. Um, and I, yeah, I hope we get that explored more because I think that's a really interesting dimension. Yeah, I, I want to see that explored more, and I want to see that come into contention with the the way of Mandalore yeah. and really uh, and express the the differences between them and kind of have that uh, that kind of um, conflict between the two and see you know, the conflict, the conflict played out, you know, on the reflection of that visor. Cause yeah. Pedro yeah. Pascal is so incredible at emoting without you, his face. Yeah. Like his body language is so great. And I think a lot of it also goes into the, uh, the way that the directors capture the, you know, the, the scene and the cinematography going into it. Like there's a lot that comes together, but it's, it's a lot on, on all of these guys. And, yeah. Everybody involved has done such a phenomenal job. It it reminds me a lot, his acting performance especially, it reminds me a lot of uh, Hugo Weaving in V for Vendetta. You know, who again, like, yes. just emotes so well through that movie through a completely un, un, unmoving mask, you know? And like, yes. there are points where I literally forgot he's wearing a mask because he's, I, I, I can read his face so well, which is so weird. Um, yeah, and I... I, I love what you're saying there, especially about wanting to know more about that, you know, how our hero, our protagonist fits in between the Mandalorian code and the Bounty Hunter Guild code, um, especially because I don't think we've, we haven't gotten this in the show yet. And this is from the novels that have now been declared to not be canon. So maybe this doesn't mean anything. But in um, the books that I'm reading now, which are all about a bunch of Clone War soldiers, um, 
and that they're getting trained by Mandalorians. Um, and so they're talking a lot about Mandalorian culture. And apparently, from what I know, these books are fairly like thought to be fairly foundational in, a, in, a, in helping to establish what we learn about Mandalorian culture. Um, Jango Fett, the, the person who all the clones were cloned from, who was a mercenary and kind of went out and did his own thing is really not respected in Mandalorian culture. Like he's thought of as having been a phenomenal warrior who basically betrayed the code to go out on his own and do his own thing. And, you know, again, we start with Boba Fett and then Jango Fett. It makes you think like maybe all Mandalorians are bounty hunters. But now I'm wondering if like being a bounty hunter is kind of a black sheep profession or it's maybe like something you do because of the purge and we don't have our society, but it's kind of shameful now. Like, I have no idea. I'm guessing in the dark, but I'm I'm I really hope that's something we see explored in season two. Like, what does it mean to be a Mandalorian who is also a bounty hunter? And is that like what Mandalorians do or is that kind of a shameful thing? <laughs> What's the work life balance there? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. When uh, when the the what was the heavy infantry guy? Uh, was was messing with him in the forge. He called him a coward and tried to take his helmet off. And oh yeah. Then that fight ensued, you know, where they pulled out their knives and everything. But like, why did he call him a coward? Yeah. Why does he call him a coward? And you're right. Why? Like, clearly, the significance of I've never taken my helmet off. No one has ever seen me with my helmet off. That is a very significant thing. And so, yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. But the significance of as part of fighting, trying to take his helmet off like that, that to me is a real way of saying like, you're not a real Mandalorian. Um, yeah, you don't belong here. I'm taking your helmet off myself. Yeah. And then he has to fight the guy to keep it on. Like, ah, there's so much to this culture that we have to unpack, man. I know. And it, it mostly, it just makes me feel like I can't wait for season two because I mean, this is the post spoiler section. Like these aren't questions that are resolved in season one. Um, yeah. So yeah, we need like three or four more seasons, I think, because like I want I mean, a whole season that's about learning about like the child and what the hell happened to him. I want a whole season that's all about the Mandalorians. Like, there, I, I have a lot of needs, Disney. I have a lot of needs. <laughs> I have a mighty need. Exactly. Exactly. <sighs> and all the helmets piled up in the in the in the covert because mm-hmm. uh, he said you're gonna have to move the covert, but then they didn't, and then ah, all the oh what. Man, yeah. there's, I need, ah, ah, Stay it's calm. too much. Stay calm. We got, we, we got this. We got this. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, I think now that we have whipped our audience into an emotional frenzy uh, equal to our yeah. own, we can probably sign off. Um, Jeff, again, thank you so much for being a part of this. Uh, to all our listeners, thank you. Um, I talked before about how all the ways to find us, um, uh, all that's in the show notes. We'd love to hear from you. Um, you know, Jeff, I know you and Matt got your podcast started because you love having these conversations with people. The Stranded Panda Network is all about, like, we want to have these conversations. And it's not just, you know, people like Jeff and me and, and, and the other folks in the network. We could just buy each other beers and chat about this, you know, if we're ever in the same part of the world. But but we do this because we want to talk to you all as well. We want to hear from you. Tell us what you agree with. Tell us what you think was wrong. Tell us, you know, what are your favorite moments of the episode? What really hits you? Um, email us. Facebook us. Uh, text uh, uh, I don't have a number so uh, tweet at us whatever you <laughs> want to do please find us um, so on behalf of myself uh, um, and Jeff uh, and also my other co-hosts on the other side is for the Clone War Riki and Sarah hope you're tuning in to all those have a great day I have spoken yes you have you have